0: My God, what the hell's going on here? Going on? Hi everybody, I'm Betty Anson. I'm a grateful member of al and I'm one of those women that forced my husband to make a free decision. Either you go to AA, or I'm going to take you for everything you ever dreamed of having or ever wanted in your life, you know. I was the original Al-Anon stalker. I'm just, you know, and November is gratitude month. And uh, so when I came in the program in October 21st, 1974, you know I was like on my knees. You know what the hell am I going to do with this alcoholic in my life? And those kids that I oh I had those kids. But anyway, um, you know. But my life was like the alcoholics. Jeff talked about last night. He gave a great talk. I wasn't there, but I heard it was a great talk. He knows we love him in a very special way. <laughs> I really want to thank all the alcoholics that are here. I really do. If it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, and the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Lola's having a big pissed-off resentment toward him, there wouldn't be any al let me tell you. She loved an alcoholic, you know, just like we do that are here in this room today. You know, alcoholism really affects our lives. But the fact of it is, is that we have a spiritual program based throughout the world, 207 countries, and, and today based here in Hawaii. Can you believe this? Can you really believe this? It's like Lois Wilson said, you know, the New Orleans International when they were when she was introduced and she was walking down in the superdome in that huge aisle and everybody was on their feet pounding and clapping and carrying on for 20 minutes our hands were raw and then she got up there and they put that little you know step stool for her and you know she was in her 90s and and i remember getting up there and and uh we were just all so excited, and, and uh, she got up there, and, and she finally got everybody to sit down, and she was very hunched over with osteoporosis, and she said, how can anyone deny there's a higher power? And that's what we're doing here today. How can anyone deny throughout the world last night at the countdown or count around or whatever you guys did? But anyway, um, where the hell are you from? But. And I want to share something with you is that the gratitude I have for Alcoholics Anonymous and for Kathy and, uh, you know, and her committee name for being able to, uh, pay for us to be here. Sure. And, uh, my gratitude for Alcoholics Anonymous and this convention. And I know that it's, you know, it's tough for Al-Anon. It's tough to, name to be able to, you know, pay the registration, do the Al-Anon. It's tough for AA, especially in, in, and, uh you know, the recession and what, what's going on. But there's always what A and Al-Anon analogy tells us. You know, there's always, well, what they say, and really as still sees it, it says, alcoholics have a greater earning capacity than most people. So I told Bob, bye. My Bob. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I really want to thank Kathy. I want to thank the A committee. But I really want to thank a couple of women that have been in my life for a number of years. And that's Judy and Carolyn. This is your Oprah and Gail of Hawaii. I'll tell you, these two are like the Bopsy twins. I swear to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for always being here for the Hawaii Convention, always, and their committee of, of the people that are here at in, in this convention, of the al that really, you know, supports us. And I really, and you know, it's really interesting to come here and to meet Tom, our, our delegate man from Hawaii, and his wife, who's, I mean... She's a real alcoholic. I'd have been pissed off at him too. But anyway, um I'd have drank if I married him. No. But uh the people that are serviced, like, you know, Judy and Carolyn and, and the World Service people here that, that go around throughout the world in the United States their travels and they, they carry the message. Even in Hawaii. I mean, they they represent your state. AA's from here represent your state. And then you have a lot of our people from the mainland that came over here that retired. You know, my nice friend, I ran into Ingrid today. She's a real Almanon, And uh, she's one of those nice ones, you know, that kind of Martha Stewart-type dresses nice. Doesn't say a bad word. And, uh, you know, for her to come out, you know, she married a normie. I don't know what the hell that is. But anyway... uh, but I'm so grateful for that, because, you know, she grew up in al in my area in Woodland Hills, and that's my home group. But I really want to share with you, is where's my Kleenex and my water? But anyway, I really want to share with you, this is really special for me, because... <clears throat> Thank you very much. I've a steady hand. Um, my daughter's here. This is the one... Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter, Kimberly, is here. And she's a great member of Al-Anon. She's married to an alcoholic, And she forced to make a free decision to marry her. And, uh, cause those alcoholics take their time about marrying you, you know, when they're sober. They, you know, oh, oh, I'm in this relationship five years, so. And you missed her story yesterday morning. I mean, she, she shared at the Al-Anon opening meeting yesterday morning. And I was like, dumbstruck, because she was nice
1: <laughs> about
0: me, and um wasn't bad. But she gave a great talk, and that's what I dreamed of when I first came into Al-Anon, that my family would be restored to sanity, what our steps tell us, you know? That's step two that would restore us to sanity, and it's about family, you know, family disease of alcoholism, and so she just turned 50 this year, And I only turned zero. That's one of of the women I sponsored said, you're going to be 70 in December. Well, we're having a party, and it's called a zero party. We all go back every time we hit 50, 60, 70. We all all go back to zero. So I'm just, you know, I'm not old. But anyway, uh, I just want to really thank Kimberly for coming and, and for sharing and for being, you know, my guest here this weekend. Thank you, AA, for doing that. And for the healing process, because, you know, it you know, that those were the promises in Al Anon when I came in. You know, when I saw, you know, parents get up there and they'd have their kids sober in AA and and uh or their, their kids were in Al Anon or Alatine and all that. She was a great Alatine member, she's a great Al Anon member, she's married an alcoholic and has raised my two grandchildren, you know, which went off to college and which she's incessantly talking to on a daily basis and uh which I'm grateful for, because I missed all that with her. See, she grew up in melanonism and alcoholism with me. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't my husband's, you know, problem. It was my problem. That's what my kids had a problem with. And so I'm just absolutely grateful that you're here, Kimberly. You gave a wonderful, wonderful talk. And uh, I, uh, I again, um, you know, ran into Bob... Bob, another Bob. Oh my God, I have Bobs in my life. My first husband was Bob, and when I divorced him, I married another Bob, and now I get another Bob in my life. You know, from Vegas, and uh, he's going to give a great talk tonight. And he's a really good friend of Alanon. He and Jeff—they're good friends of Alanon. Really good friends of Alanon. These are the guys who need to go around the country, and they always share good things about Alanon. He told me a joke about Al-Anon last night, but I don't remember it, so I'm going to tell you my own. Uh, That's what happens when you go back to zero. And, um, And I remember this in my first meeting, and I don't want anyone to ever forget. They say that in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I look at the Orange County people, and they're all in their, you know, Donna Karens, and their nice things, and... And uh, then all of a sudden they're on the beach meeting with you this morning. The AA's had like 60 people there, and we had five Al-Anons. But who cares? when two and more gathered together, I got the gift this morning. Kimberly and I got the gift this morning. Uh, Janet, you know, being coming out there bringing a chair didn't bring me one. and um, Anyway. Uh, but that's the gifts that we have here, you know, and the gifts of the weekend. Because no matter where we meet or where we're at, we all share that same common bond. Our lives have been deeply affected by alcoholism. And now my life has been not only been deeply affected by alcoholism, but also from addiction. Uh, with my daughter, the addict and the alcoholic. And I'll share a little bit about that with you uh, uh, as we go down the road here. I was born in a family, you know, from Wisconsin. Uh, in Chicago, I was born in Chicago, but... I went through that life, you know, my father's an alcoholic and, uh, he's 90 years old and he's still, he's still an alcoholic. You know, he never sought recovery, doesn't believe in a higher power. And, you know, I always hear in, in A and you die like you live. And you, and you die from this insanity, sobriety, or death. And my father might be sober or anything, but he's dying a spiritual death. And that, you know, that, being part of that, being part of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and now the concepts and Al-Anon that I practice within my family. And, you know, that is a healing force for good for me. For me, to be able to, to have those steps in my personal life and those traditions in my personal life. Because when you heard Kimberly share yesterday morning, she shared what her, her like Chuck Chamberlain wrote that book, A New Pair of Glasses. And him and Elsa were such, wonderful A&L and l and al members, but he wrote that new pair of glasses. And when I heard my daughter share yesterday morning, I again saw through her eyes and through her her voice, you know, which you allow here, which you allow us to have a voice and to be able to share our experience, strength, and hope with you. But I saw through her eyes, and I really prayed about it this morning because I thought I'm going to try to have a, a a meaningful conversation with Kimberly about what I did to her you know how I damaged her or you know broken her or beat the shit out of her or whatever you know. but uh you know I was able to have a conversation with her hmm. not only about the past but also in the, our behaviors in the present and how we heal that from line and it just takes time it takes time and it takes the actions that we that we take and then here. we were in a meeting yesterday and we heard this. Uh, one of the people that shared in the Ellen I meeting she shared about uh, minding your own business, and she said, "Yeah, you need to have a business, and then you need to mind that business." <laughs> Who said that she I don't know if she's here or not, but it was, we like that quote, but anyway, I was in this alcoholic family, and uh, it you know, hey, I just thought that was kind of normal, except you know when the guns would go off, and my mother would be you know crazy and whatever. Anyway, I lost my mother when I was uh, six years old. She was driving home from work and she was pregnant with twin boys and, uh, um, she wanted to rush home and to make dinner for, you know, for me and we lived in a little trailer park across from O'Hare. Uh, when it was an Air Force base, my father was in the service, retired from the service and, uh, you know, I have to give him, you know, uh, that credit, you know, for him not only serving our country, being a patriot, you know. But uh, again I looked through that not only through the steps and through the traditions with my father. But anyway, um, she didn't come home that night and and uh, that started, you know, I think my Alan I think that started my Alanism. That started for me, you know, that that disease of alcoholism, how it gripped me and, and held me in anger and resentment and how it affected my life. Anyway, she didn't come home that night. Apparently what they had is, I didn't know she was pregnant, and apparently what they had was a uh, a party for her because she was leaving work. She was nine months pregnant with twin boys. And it was, she was leaving work. She did something what al do. do. Um, of course, my mother never knew about al then. But uh, what she did is that there was a lady after the party that said, would you drop me off at this train station that my mother would normally not, not go to? And my mother, I found out many years later, did not really like this person. So I understand our literature which is written by all of us, you know, by Alan ons and AA writes their own literature also, which I'm so grateful for, comms approved literature. And that uh my mother again, you know, did something for somebody else that she really didn't want to and not realizing that was gonna be her demise. And that's what I tried to do for the alcoholic. I tried to do for him what he should have been doing for himself. I tried to do the same thing with my daughter, even within the program, that she should have been doing for herself. But anyway, uh, my mother didn't come home that night, and uh, I was thrown into fear. And what happened is that she dropped this lady off at the train station. And with her, you know, rushing home to make dinner for my father, hopefully that he wouldn't go out to the bar that night, she went across the train tracks, and another train hit her, and uh, the car was thrown up against a telephone pole, and she was propelled out of the front window and uh, nine months pregnant and was up over the exit door. And they, she was killed instantly, and so were my twin brothers. And But that was a secret in our family. No one ever told me that until I was uh, in my 20s. They shared that with me. And uh, But anyway, so that had a very pivotal effect in my life. It had a very spiritual effect in my life because I stopped believing in a higher power. I stopped praying, you know, because I used to always pray, you know, please bring my dad home sober or, you know, not drinking and not hitting my mother or, you know, whatever. And all those things, you know, in that little trailer park, you know, was to set me up. I mean, it, it set me up in a position of being to be spiritually ready for you as the... The alcoholics talk about that, to that desperation. We have that desperation also. We have that physical, mental, and spiritual illness also. We have that big hole inside of ourselves that we try to fill. You know, and I tried to fill it with everything that I possibly could. Nothing worked. I used to say I drank with him, around him, and over him, and under him. And um, that's part of my fifth step. But anyway, uh, so that changed my life. And so when I came into Al-Anon, you know, a number of years later, you know, I went through my first husband. I went through th- that marriage. My father, we moved out to California. Got transferred to Sacramento. Um, I moved to Reno. I got a job in Reno in an advertising agency. I met my husband in Sacramento. My Shirley's uh, father, and uh, his drinking didn't bother me, you know. And uh, but you know something else, and Shirley told me that today. She says there was always something about you, Mom. Yeah right, but there was always something about you that you just wanted something else. You wanted something more for yourself. And I thought that's kind of an alcoholic personality, and that's true because when we first came into Allen on an AA, when I first got to make that free decision, they'd always say, "Oh, how long have you been sober?" I went, "I I've been sober all my life. It's him, you know." And uh but she said there was always something because you know i heard yesterday morning when she talked about she you know i thought that she thought i didn't love her i loved her she was my first child i loved her so much but there was something about me that nobody could fix there was always there was something about me that nobody could fix and the only thing that that fixed me was here to be with you to be with my people to be with Al-Anon, to have a sponsor mm. And, uh, you know, to do the steps and, and all that. But, but, you know, the crisis before that, you know, I went through that marriage. We moved to Seattle out of Reno. Um, you know, it was, I was, I was insane. I love step two. That a God of, you know, can restore us to sanity. I can remember Duffy, you know, God bless his soul. But I remember Duffy used to always talk about, um uh, Looking up words in the dictionary, and boy, I caught that. You know, from every speaker that I heard, I would catch a clue. You know, to find out how deep this spiritual program was. And I remember looking it up in the dictionary. Insanity means just to be restored to sane thinking. But I was insane. I remember one time we were sharing down in New Orleans on a panel, and I was sharing on this panel, and and the panel on Eleanor was obsession. And uh, after I finished sharing an obsession with the alcoholic, this lady of color said to me, she goes, Honey, in that New Orleans twang, Honey, you are obsessed, you're possessed. I was possessed. You know, I was possessed for something that was outside of me. I needed something to fill me. So I picked an alcoholic. Of course. No, but anyway. Uh, but, you know, I went through that marriage, and it was I created so much chaos in that marriage. I created for my I had three girls by then. I was separated, you know. Then I separated again, and then you know I had a baby, and and then my husband came back, and 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 you know when you look at the wreckage of your past in Al Anon, when you look, you know I looked at Bob's wreckage of his past. Of course, I looked at his past because I'm waiting for him to make amends. And um I kept saying to my sponsor, how long does he have to be sober to make amends to me? She goes, Betty Ann, he's making amends by being sober. So, uh, but I continued, three years. Okay, when is he making amends to me? You know? She goes, oh, maybe about five years. But he's making more, you know, amends, you know. When else is going to happen? What else is going to happen? And she goes, well, have you made amends to him? I said, yes, I do the laundry. <laughs> His laundry. I pick it up. She goes, what about the spiritual men's, you know? You guys go to meetings together, you know, you participate in, in you know, the AA functions. you Guys, you know, that what i that. But anyway, and that's what Al-Anon's about, and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. You know, they said in the, you know, in 2000. In the turn of the century, it said, the greatest 12-step movement, I mean, the greatest spiritual movement of the 20th century is is the 12-step program. The greatest movement of the 20th century is the 12-step program. For alcoholics and for al and for our families, for our kids. But anyway... Um, I went through that marriage and I and it was humiliating there was a lot of wreckage of my past you know and then two weeks before Christmas my kids were in school and they were little and uh, I just I came home from work and I was working as a cocktail waitress and I was humiliated by that I started a clown business you know in the entertainment business I wanted to be something that I really wasn't and like Kimberly said I was just was never present you know it's never present within myself and that's what I believe 11th step is about is to be present within yourself so that you can carry the message all Lois and Anne wanted us to do was to carry the message to help others you know but we had to help ourselves first we had to accept the powerlessness we had to accept our lives were unmanageable but I you know I made my life unmanageable for five years you know and then, until i met the next bob but um uh, but i did things to my children and to my little kids you know that because of the grace of god and because of the program i was able to make amends to them but you know there's that living amends also that they talk about they talk about you know the spiritual amends the living amends and you know because i got it all backwards you know when i came into the program i got things a little backwards i thought well if you buy them a car if you do this you do that that will assuage your guilt and that's what al-anons had. is you know they have guilt they have guilt about it it's really difficult for an Alanon to look at her part in it you know to really look at her part and you know in the responsibility and that's why our one day at a time the best piece of literature that al-anon has which is written you know 50 something years ago that piece of literature i carry with me all the time because the first thing i heard in one of my first meetings and I wrote it down, I wrote down this quote from this lady that I really didn't like, I love you in a special way and uh but i but I wrote it. it says "We the unwilling, led by the unqualified, have been doing the unbelievable for so long we now attempt the impossible with nothing so true. I attempted the impossible with nothing, and I was so unwilling, I was so unwilling because I had no mentors I had You know, my father remarried. I had five sisters and brothers. They were living in Sacramento. My father retired there and things were trouble. You know, there was a lot of trouble and I, you know, I was very confused and I was very self-reliant. And, you know, it says in our literature and and also in the A literature, self-reliance is as good as it got, but it eventually fails us. And see, I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous when I came into the program. And I read it, and then, you know, to find out about the disease of alcoholism. I don't do big book studies. I don't do anything like that. I read the big book because I know what alcoholism is. And alcoholism, you know, that I have no power over that. But that they have power over that. And they have choices. And I have choices, and they also make true. Sure. It says in Al-Anon literature that, you know, by our change of attitude will be a boundless help for the alcoholic to seek sobriety. So when I met Bob, I really changed my attitude. I was great. I was really great. I was working at a cocktail wages job in Reno. I went back to Reno, took my kids back, then took my kids to my ex-husband. They were back there. And, you know, I was just, I was on the downhill, slippery slide, let me tell you. I was on a spiritual, slippery slide. And, uh... So I remember this one night when Bob walked into the bar and I was working late and I was working two jobs and I had this, you know, I was pitching this, uh, the television station for a deal and uh, they weren't buying it and so here I was with a cocktail waitress and I was just, I was just absolutely self-defeated. And in Al-Anon, you know, we have the three S's. you know, we need someone to love, something to do and something to look forward to. And that's what I tell people in Al-Anon. Have those three S's because that self-defeatism, you know, everything about self, you know, is what we do to harm ourselves. And, you know, now that, you know, the cliché too is that, you know, self-esteem is built by esteem of doing esteemable actions. Self-worth is being worthy of the program, you know, of having worth in the program. Like sitting out in that booth, you know, for Al-Anon or for AA, you know, for 12 to 3 yesterday. You know, being of service, whatever. I feel good about myself when I do things like that. But anyway, um and I do a lot of really good things. But um uh, uh, cause I felt absolutely desperate. So when I met Bob, he came into the bar, you know, he had on a Brooks Brothers suit, and smoked a cigar, had a big roll of money, like that. And I was in, in Reno, and uh, and this, it was like a piano bar, like a Billy Joe place. Anyway, he comes in, and he, he's a real alcoholic, my husband is. If you ever heard his story, he's a real alcoholic. He's the kind of alcoholic that orders two drinks, two VO on the rocks. You know, and he came in with a blonde with big boobs, like Judy used to be. And, uh, But anyway, um, I'll be nice. Anyway, um, I was always jealous of those blondes. Uh, but anyway, he came in with another lower companion. I heard that in A. Right away, I can remember in the A. Open speaker meeting, somebody talked about lower companions. I went, Yeah, yeah, that's what they are. They're lower companions. No judgment. And um, so, uh, you know, I thought, you know, so I served him drinks, and she kept taking his money. Well, she's an alcoholic too, but anyway, she kept taking my tip. You know, and he was leaving a lot of big tips. I thought this is great. You know, I tell you. It's like Marianne Turner used to say, the late Mary, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know. But I thought this is the right place. This was my ticket, you know. And uh I can remember going home to uh my roommate and uh and you know what? I was in desperation then too. You know, I I'd, I'd lost my apartment, I was moving to a friend's house, I was doing the same thing that the alcoholic does. But I did it sober and insane. You know, I ended up, you know, having a roommate, living in her house. And you know what? It was humiliating for me not to be self-supporting. I love that Seventh tradition. I love that we're self-supporting, declining outside contributions once in a while. But anyway, um, but I was humiliated by that. You know, I really was. And I can remember going home that night and saying, hey, you know what? I met the guy of my dreams. And she goes, oh, what's his name? And I said, I don't know. I can't remember. And... uh I said, but you know what, he's very handsome and has a lot of money, and I said, but he's really tired. She goes, what do you mean by that? I said, well, he slept on the bar. She goes, that sounds like a little problem. Mm. Not a problem for now, and I'm in training. And, uh, but anyway, we started that merry-go-round call denial. He came in the next night, and uh, of course, I told him about, you know, how, you know, his his receptionist his, he had a five-star restaurant so I thought that was really cool like the Spago's or well now there's a lot of five-star restaurants but anyway uh, you know I told him I said you know you know when I served you last night and you know, I didn't know what a blackout was Bob didn't even remember last night and I didn't know you know what was going on when we started talking he's from Sacramento I was from Sacramento and and uh, I used to meet him once in a while and Jay in case you didn't know it you know, him and his buddies will all be drinking and carrying on. He had a, a wife. You know, if you hear Bob's story, Bob's story is that he married, you know, two women twice. So i his fifth wife, I think, legally. But anyway, um, hope so. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it just started, that merry-go-round that we call denial. You know, and that's what it started. And, then the pro- and for 13 months, I was absolutely insane. I never seen it as a, I went to work for him. And, of course, alcoholics are always friends with their ex-girlfriends or their ex-wives or their ex-children or their ex-in-laws or their ex-cars or, you know, alcoholics never forget their phone number. Now with cell phones, I mean, I would have made it fast here, you know. I mean, I have known where he was all the time, you know. But um, anyway, uh, so I went to work for him. And, you know, you have that intuition, and they talk about it a lot now and on. You know, that intuition that, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. And especially with my mother-in-law, his mother. His mother worked for us, and her husband, her fifth husband, and his brother was in A&A down in uh, Vegas, and uh, and and he flew up for the wedding, but he was drinking, and I couldn't understand that, you know. Anyway, it was very complicated, and in 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 the program, we talk about conflicts in our life, Bob said something about that yesterday, about conflicts, you know, and there was all this conflict and turmoil and, you know, craziness, but I was trying to be the best person that I possibly could be, because I had a motive, and in the back of the One Day at a Time book, I looked and I saw, there's a big line of motives, you know, a lot of pages on motives, but my motive was, you know, I'm going to get this guy, you know, Sober and we got this nice business, get rid of the two wives that keep coming in and these kids of his and, you know, bring my kids back and, you know, I live like Kimberly said in this different world, this unreality. You know, of no truth. No truth to myself. And that's what the programs teach us in recovery. Really shows us, you know, we have to be truthful to ourselves. And I couldn't do that. But anyway, so this one time, you know, Bob wouldn't come home from the restaurant. So I started coming home from the restaurant. I ordered a Frederick's Hollywood outfit. You know, now they sell them, like, in the stores. But the Frederick's Hollywood outfit had a a string here with tassels on the end. Oh, you had one. Okay. And it had a G-string, it's called, now. And then it had that long crepe paper robe like a Loretta Young. Nobody knows who Loretta Young is, not unless you're over 50. Oh, everybody's waving their hands. And then it had that 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 feathers. I don't know what kind of feathers. They, they weren't from a real animal, I promise you that. And then feathers down here, but you could see through it. It was a crepe paper thing. And I had those Cinderella slippers, you know, those high heels, plastic slippers with pom-poms on them. And I put makeup on and, and ratted my hair. Well, they call it teasing now, but I had my hair all ratted up and had long eyelashes. Because see, at the restaurant, I was the hostess with the mostess. And all the celebrities came in there, and entertainers came in there, and the governor came in there. Everybody drank at our restaurant. My kids worked in the restaurant and all this kind of stuff. And I was insane. And so, uh, I had to straight the hollywood outfit on, and then I'd prance around the house and smoke a cigarette, you know, with a French cigarette holder, and then I would to wait for Bob to come home, wait for the alcoholic, and I would, the feathers would be molting, and I would be, you know, all night, you know, catching, you know. They talk about hallucinations with the alcoholic, you know. the I was absolutely insane, you know, and I'd catch a feather and burn it, and, oh, it was great, you know, and... Uh, then I throw my Mary Ann robe, you know, turn the robe on, that Chenille number. You know, when you're in Albanon, you're waiting for the alcoholic, you know. You're smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee. Now they have Red Bulls. Man, I'd had a heart attack and died, you know. I was so hyper-vigilant, you know, anyway. I mean, I was so ADD, you know. But anyway, I was so wired with that coffee that, you know, then the cigarette would fall in there, and then I'd be scratching it in certain places, and you can't see it behind the podium, and those tassels would be going, and, you know, but I'd throw on that Marianne Turner bathroom, and I'd go outside in the middle of the night and rake the leaves and do crazy shit, you know. I mean, take out the garbage cans at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's just something to do, And because uh, he wouldn't, and I'd remind him. Bob's never taken out a garbage can, but anyway... You know, just craziness. And across the street was Harold Smith's house. And his wife was a 500 pound raging alcoholic. And they had a security guard down in the, sat in front of their house. So, you know, alcoholics and has gotta live in the right neighborhoods. And you belong to St. Mary's Guild, and you know, you look good. You know, you look really good. So anyway, um I this one night Bob came home, and uh, you know, I had my Fridge of Hollywood outfit on, raked the leaves up, and it was cold, and uh, he was on the porch. Whittlesea Cab brought him home. Bobby knows Whittlesea Cab. Anyway, and I used to call Whittlesea Cab. I used to keep a calendar. Okay, they've got him at the Continental Lodge. I'd call Whittlesea Cab, and I'd say, listen, I know you have him. They'd go, Whittlesea Cab. I said, I know you have him. And Betty Ann, I know you have him. Where do you have him? And I could hear the dispatcher going, what the hell? And then I hear the taxi drivers in the back, you know, in the dispatch room going, is that PitchCon? again, you know, whatever. And then, and then God would feel sorry for me. And then I was humiliated. You know, the, Al-Anon's don't walk into an Al-Anon meeting, you know, humble. I was humiliated by my actions. And that's what Al-Anon sponsors did. That's what my meeting did. They had me look at myself, you know, so that my husband could stay sober and, and be sober. You know, my family could be restored. You know, that's the basis of it, you know. Is that we're here to be able to restore me to sanity. I got stuck on step two, thank God. I really did. Step three, I was a little worried about. But anyway, so, you know, the taxi would bring him home. Because I stopped, you know, picking him up. And I, you know, wouldn't let him drive the car. Took his keys. Stood in front of the car. You know, he almost pinned me against the, you know, the garage door by accident, he said. But anyway, um, so, you know... I pushed him off the porch when he came home. I put the cigar in his mouth, covered him up with the leaves, and said, burn, baby, burn. It was the 70s. What the hell? He didn't burn up. So I had a moment of compassion and uh, went out there and took the cigar out. Hmm. Ain't got he had enough VO in him. And this is the insanity. And my kids were visiting me. This is the insanity that they saw their mother with their, you know, stepfather, this this man that I love so much. This is what they're seeing. My kids are seeing. Um, anyway, that night about 6 o'clock in the morning, Andy was going to go to school, and I was in my Marianne bathroom. Bob fell out on the lawn, and you know, just before they got up, it, the Whittlesey—I mean, the, the security officer comes up to the door and knocks on the door, and I answer the door, and so I thought, well, Bob's got up. We can have a meaningful conversation. And I got up and I went to the door and I'm in my coach of Hollywood outfit and the guy's looking at me and he says, uh, excuse me, but there's somebody on the lawn. I said, well, of course. like that's normal in my neighborhood. And I said, you know, he goes, well, you know, he's on the lawn. And I said, look, go on. Go back to your little car. And see, now I talks about in her opening about being arrogant, self-righteous. And you know, if you back in your little car, here, yeah, pissed off the security guy because he's calling me on it. And he walks off and he said something that was, that. what I heard, is that she's really sick. I thought he said, oh, that Bob was really sick being on the lawn, covered up with leaves. know, not me, but him. That morning, uh, of course, Amy got up and I was smoking a cigarette. She made her cereal, walked out to go to her little school, and the leaves moved. And Ambie turned around and looked at me. In the eyes of children. And she looked at me with that look. Like, what the heck are you doing, Mom? And she was so humiliated and embarrassed. And met her little friend, Leslie Conklin, and they walked off. And that was the morning that I made a decision. Because there had been many nights, many times, that I would do that. You know, to go look for Bob. Go to the blackout bar at Harris. Drag him out of the bar, up the stairs, you know. I'd have clothes on. And drag him up the stairs and, what the hell are you doing down the blackout bar? And it wouldn't be Bob. You know, or, 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 well, you know, who are you? And, you know, that guy could have been part of my fifth step, too. But anyway, um, but that humiliation. Again, there was something missing. And I remember going into the bathroom and I kept thinking of my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, you need to go to Al-Anon. You're really sick. No, I'm not sick. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. But that morning, I knew in desperation I needed to call Alan on. And Bob had been out all night long, and uh, of course he didn't want to come home. But I, but I didn't go that night. I wasn't that desperate. It had to be the next week, and the next week, and then I left the restaurant, left him down there drunk. But I had a, I had a new awakening that I didn't know that was happening to me. And when I left the the restaurant, I went home to take the babysitter home, left my little girl there with the dogs. I remember driving, you know, on, uh, in fact, in California Avenue, and I stopped at California Avenue, Mount Rose, I'll never forget it, and stopped at the stoplight, and it was 1.30 in the morning, and the light wouldn't change. And when the light wouldn't change, I just went through it. You know, I'm from Reno. I have this big restaurant, you know. I had arrogancy again, and a cop came around and pulled me over. And I got out of the car, and I called him a bad name. al go to jail, too. Fast. You know, you call him the name in the 70s, which, you know, it starts with F.P. But anyway, um, you know, and don't you know who I am? You know, and uh, I'm going to have your job. I wasn't drunk. I was insane. And they took me down and put me in a padded cell. And the fear came into me. My kid's home alone. You know, you get one phone call. Then, and, you know, that phone call was to Bob at the restaurant. And I finally kind of got the waiter to get Bob. And you know what Bob said to me, and this is what I tell on, And it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in Chapter 5, A, B, and C, no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism. Only see God could and would have stopped. So I took that, you know, when I got into the program. And I believed that this human power was trying and he came to the phone and I said Bob you've got to help me you've got to really help me and he goes where are you and I said well, I'm, in, I'm in jail and they're going to throw me in a padded cell he goes you know what in you always figure everything else out figure this out and he hung up the phone you know what's the best thing he ever did for me because when my daughter called me from jail and called me collect a number of years ago mommy mommy please help me Please help me, mommy. And I didn't have to hang up the phone. I could accept a collect call because my sponsor told me I could do that once. And I accepted that collect call and I can remember telling Amy, I love you so much, Amy, but you need to call somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous. I cannot help you. It's the toughest thing I ever did. The toughest thing I ever did. But that night, you know, they threw me in the, in the, in the drunk tank and padded cell. They didn't know what the hell to do with me. But I made a decision to call Al on the next morning. And I did call Al on. And I'm so grateful for Mickey B that answered the phone and talked to me for two hours. And she's the one in that told tell me. She goes, you know, Benny Ann, you gotta kick them when they're down. And Al telling you that? They don't do that anymore. That's not politically correct. It's abuse. You know. And the Al Anon goes to jail then. Uh, but anyway. She goes, you know what, you, you you know, his only hope is Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And uh so I got ready for that. I got ready for that and had the courage to I me. Mean, after I talked to her, thank God for our answering service. Thank God that Alan answered the answering service. Thank God it's not. Well, just push button number two if he's a real alcoholic. Push number three and then if it's S-A or B-A or pick your nose, A, you know. But anyway... Um, so when Bob came home that morning, Bob can say this in his talk. He said he knew something was different about it, about me. And he did. He, I took him to Alcoholics Anonymous. I drove him. And uh, I took him to Alcoholics Anonymous, and we went to that Sunday night VA hospital meeting where the storage shuffle was going on. But you know, it, yeah, you've been there. And, uh, you know, but again, I separated myself. I'm not like those people. But I wanted what you had. I wanted what those AAs were talking about. And then I met those Al-Anon. They had men there. Al-Anon men. Ew, that's weird. And uh, they had alcoholic wives, you know. But something happened to me at that first AA meeting. But the biggest thing that happened to me was that Monday night Al-Anon meeting in Reno. I walked into that room and I made sure Bob went in the back room to the AA room where they had coffee cups, and uh, which we had to wash. I loved it. I loved it. And, uh, but something happened to me in my Al-Anon meeting. And I hear that, I hear that out of Al-Anon all over the world. Something happened. And a lot of Al-Anon tell me, they said, you know, I don't remember my first meeting. I remember everything. I'm an Al-Anon who remembers everything. You know, I wrote it down. But anyway, uh, something happened to me at that meeting when they held hands and they said the Lord's Prayer. And they asked, for newcomers to share. And they asked me, would you like to share? And boy, I did. I told them about Bob. All about Bob. And Bob Zoms and Bob, you know, later on in life, all the Bob. Bob, Mom, and I told everybody everything about Bob. But you know, there was the grace of that program. I knew that night that I was going to be okay. And that first year that we were in the program, we had our son, JR, who today lives in Detroit, Michigan, and today is separated from his wife. Who has a pro- who is a problem drinker? Is a problem drinker, and he takes care of his children because of Alateen and because of us being an Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon all these years. My my son had a had a he, had a you know was able to carry the message. We were able to carry the message to my son by detachment, by allowing my son the dignity to to call somebody else, not his mom, to say to my son, I understand. Didn't there done that? JR, you've got to call an al guy, a guy that's been through it, that's got kids. And I said, otherwise, I'm never going to send you a cent again. And um, that's kind of motivating. And but um, my daughter won't let me. But anyway, uh, my son did. But that first year, the AAs gave us baby showers and the Al-Anons gave us baby showers. The al Knitted Little Blankets name for me, which I was able to give to my son, his baby blanket from al that crocheted those in meetings, which we used to really bitch about. And, they, and, you know, he was able to give it to his son. See, the traditions work in a spiritual manner for our families. Spiritually, it's worked for our families. And then uh, the second year, I was pregnant, and I didn't know it, and I went into an emergency cesarean, and I had twin girls and they only weighed three, four pounds and they they were shocked my doctor was shocked he was so glad I was an Al-Anon oh my god Cause they all come to the restaurant and I tell my doc, my doctor I think I have brain tumor and you know and well you live with an alcoholic getting it no, no, no I have a brain tumor I'm sure or palpitations and anxiety and stress and that's what most Al-Anons now And since alcoholism and addiction is a generational disease as Judy talked about all of us in things that are parents, you know, and grandparents, you know, uh, we see over 30 years, I've been in 38 years, and I see what, you know, the disease of addiction is generational, and alcoholism is generational. But anyway, um, you know, I absolutely, everybody in, in the program, my father never came up to visit my children. He was very, you know, excited, you know, that I had twins, but my parents never had anything to do with my five children. Um... I mean, the, the disease of alcohol has been destroyed in our family and our roots and all that. But anyway, what what happened was thats that is that three months later I was feeding that baby and uh Allison, and I propped her up and went to feed Amy and I came back and Allison was dead she died of SIDS. <clears throat> and the first person I called was an al on Dottie Dickens. I said, Dottie, please help me. I'm not going to be able to come to the district meeting Wednesday night because my baby just died and she said the things that Alcoholics Anonymous and al and al say because my two girls were in an al and uh, she said we'll be right there we'll be right there and don't worry about the meeting we'll be right there and they were there everyone was there for us and they've been there for us and then for the last 20 years and they for the last 38 years but for that for that Momentous occasion that happened to us. I and, and that defeating, you know, absolutely destroyed, you know, would have destroyed any other couples, especially couples that we worked with afterwards. And then with parents that have lost children. But you know, if they were there for our family, they surrounded our family. They brought food for our family. And then when I got back to my meeting the following Wednesday night. All I did was hold J.R., and he was 13 months old then, and I can remember holding J.R., and Kimberly and Dan were in the LRT meeting, and I can remember holding Jr. and I just cried through the meeting. I just cried through the meeting. And you know what? The older ladies in al grabbed that baby, and they just let me cry. They all kept on with the meeting, you know, but they just let me cry. And then that night, one of them, I about two weeks later, I said, you know, I can't take this. I'm afraid that she's going to die. And they said, you know, they said that's not going to happen, Vinny And don't you know? Don't worry. Not even that. And that. But I was in so much fear. And again, the steps and the sponsorship. Everybody was there for us. But again, you know, what happened for us is that that night after I get home from the meeting, about ten o'clock at night, there's three of these ladies standing at my door, knocking on my door, and they're in their pajamas, you know, that have feet in them, and you know, these weird bunny slippers and all this. And Kimberly and Deanna, you know, were taking care of Andy and and Jr. and they came in, and and they had their blankies, you know, and they said, we'll help you out. We'll stay here until we can walk you through this fear. And that's what steps do for us. That's what the fellowship does for us. That's what world service does for us. It walks us through the fear. You know, walks us through the fear. You know, they always say that God's in the flesh with us, you know. And my husband didn't have to drink over that. My husband didn't have to drink, it was the death of his child. You know, my husband found a higher power of his understanding through that situation. But Alcohol Anonymous was there for us, and has been for us through all those years. But anyway, um, after that we moved to Texas, and then we went to, uh, we moved out to California after New Orleans, after the International. My husband works in the construction business, and, uh, then it started happening for us. And what started happening for us, and then it's, uh, my, my older girls and they moved back to Seattle with their father to finish school out because it was too insane for them and in my sober house we talked a lot about this and then in regards to you know my kids were like they had this impression that we loved AA and al and we loved all those people in the program more than we loved them and so by that experience I was able in the name you know to change my type of sponsorship that I do for the women I sponsor that have young children That have husbands that are newly sober. You know, I'm able to name to share with them my mistakes. The things that we made within the program. That's what's so devastating. I think being in the program and having the knowledge and not taking the actions and not seeing what your children, even if you're sober and you're clean and you're, and you're an Al-Anon and you're, you know, whatever, you know, the amends that I had to make to my children have to be a living amends, not also a written and a direct amend, you know. And so did Bob. We had to take a really deep look at that when my daughter, I mean, uh, uh, one time in, in, in her program, she had to cut off all communication with us, you know, with her family. She had to process what she, that's the new word, process what she needed to go through I and mean, then through the program, through the steps, through outside help. But we're able to discuss that today, only because of you. And also, you know, when Amy started, you know, when Amy started, she started her road to destruction. You know, I was able to name through sponsorship and name through Sally Carpenter and Keith Carpenter, you know, that really raised my kids, you know, really, you know, were there for us, I mean. You know, our sponsors were always there for us. I don't sponsor Hop. I don't sponsor Chan. I've had two sponsors. They both have passed. You know, I've had the grace of Ming to walk them through their deaths and, and to be part of that process of death. And, you know, like pa, uh, what's-her-face was telling me, you know, we, we're talking about making up all the, you know, the medical stuff and all that. Who just lost, lost her husband? God bless her. Lost her husband. You know, Kay Brewster lost her husband this year. Lil, you know, people have lost their husbands. You're able to show us how to... Normal people don't know how to handle that kind of stuff. Well, some normal people do. But but we have a spiritual solution for that. A spiritual walking through that. But then I saw Amy. And I saw what Amy had to go through. You know what she went through, and there was something that I thought that Bob and I were missing in regards to. You know, there's a lot of guilt involved in that. You know, why is our daughter? You know, why is our daughter? Why is she affected by this disease of addiction? Why is she affected by these men in her life? You know, when she was sober and going to Alcoholics Anonymous in the Pacific Group, she did very, very well. Kimberly was saying yesterday how talented she was, and how uh, you know, I mean, what a wonderful young woman that she is. But you know what? There's something about addiction that we can't stop. It's like that powerful train, you know, that, you know, we got to get out of the way. And that's one of the greatest gifts that I learned. That's why we started the Parent and on parent Focus Meetings. Because at nine months old, I had to take her son away from her. You know, then she got sober again, and he went to live with her. And he was only living with her three months, and one of the guys may stop by her house, and he, and she left him alone, and then, you know in the crib and with uh, some drug addict, you know, and I had to go take him again, you know, and then at three years old, he went to live with his father for nine months, and he lived with his father who was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's no guarantee, you know, he's a great guy, but you know what, let me tell you something, when Cole was four years old, I took him for the summer, I took him every weekend, but I knew something was going on with him too, and his his girlfriend had had another baby and she had a daughter who's now 16 years old and in Alcoholics Anonymous. And sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Who would have known it at 9 years old? But anyway, um, um we were baffled. Cunning, powerful, and baffling. That's the disease of alcoholism. And as Alan on mothers and Alan on, you know, grandparents, know, we knew that we had to do something. And so that summer thing, I took Cole for the whole summer. And I left him with my daughter uh, for a couple weeks, and I went up to Wyoming to see my son and watch the alcoholism going on there, and that was horrible. Anyway, I came back and uh, picked him up, and I I took him back to meet Ted. We always meet in the valley, and Ted drove in, and, you know, his eyes were pierced, and, and... he was sweating profusely. Big guy, big guy. And, you know, now when I nose. you don't have to smell it, you know. And I can remember looking at him, and I said, Ted, what can we do? There's something going on. You know, then all the phone calls, I mean, the cell phones, you know, filled. The mailboxes are filled. And nothing, Mom. And everything's fine. Everything's fine. Two days later, he didn't show up. Didn't show up. Then his uh, girlfriend calls me. Bob went after the Wednesday night meeting went and picked up Cole and uh, this was on Monday we traded him and then on Sunday morning uh, his best friend called me he says hey Betty Ann I hope you're sitting down and I said uh, why why do I need to sit down I was just on way out to go to a sponsor's sponsor's workshop he goes Betty Ann he said uh, they found Ted in his mother's his mother's house and he died of an overdose <clears throat> and I watched that little boy running around my living room. And his mother was out there, completely loaded and drunk. And I called Helena and I said, would you please help me? I called members of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bob did. Would you please help us? And they were over there. And uh they walked us through that. I had to take that boy away from Amy and that uh, when we finally found her and she moved to the house I had to have her sign away and I had to go through guardianship for my grandson and I had to to, you know it was a conflict with my daughters you know because they had reasonable reasonable you know fears about it you know we're too old we're too active in Al-Anon and you know what we had to change you can always change in Al-Anon Bob and I had to change No more night meetings. Bob, of course, has his night meetings. I'd be home. No more, you know, going to conferences and conventions without poll, you know. You know, we were offered the ability to change within our program. You know what Bob was telling me last night, a little story about making amends. It's always the opportunity to make amends. But it's also gave me the strength because of the Al-Anon Focused Parent Meetings that we started. And now the Division 5 group on Friday nights, We have 125 people come to that group, maybe 130 people, men and women, in Al-Anon. And we have preteen, babysitting, alloteen, and Bill Wilson. We should have listened to Bill. We should have given him to the AAs. But anyway, you know, we have certified sponsors. We have sponsors that are dependable, even with a volunteer program such as ours. These are sponsors that we trust and our children are safe. And how dare people tell us, we don't have that right or the traditional right to protect our children and protect our sponsors. They saved my kids' life. They gave them a new perspective. They were our advocates for Bob and I. They are our advocates, the Allah sponsors were. Then we started another parent meeting in Westlake Village. It's five years old next week. Come on over. Celebrate with us. I've raised this grandson. We had to go to court. I had to, you know, get guardianship of him. I had to take a little bit of money that he had, you know, from his uh, late grandmother and put him in trust with an Al-Anon. Trust her with the money, because they don't trust me with the money, which is understandable. Alcoholics have a great spinning capacity. But anyway. um, And Amy. That's the understanding of alcoholism and addiction. That's where I learned it in the parent meeting. That's the hardest place to work my program after 35 years. Oh, what, 34 years it was. Is You know, to, to tell Amy, I trust you'll figure this out. You know, you're, you're not able to live with us. I don't have to say no anymore. Al-Anon taught me I don't have to say no. I have to say, Amy, I trust you can figure this out. I know, Mom. I know. Do you have to call your sponsor? Yeah, you need to go to a meeting because of me. She went through my family. She went through her brother. She conned her brother. She conned her sister after... She went to prison. I didn't go to the court. My daughter, Deanna, and her partner went to court. And they saw the devastation and humiliation that my daughter had to go through. You know... And then after she got out of prison, they allowed her to come to their house. And, you know, we mourned them. You know, we, we shared with them. And it was a big fight. It caused conflict with the, the alcoholic and the addicts got us all going around. But a very famous addiction specialist who's on TV said, he tells young people, do not go back to your parents' house, you will die. Because your parents are in fear And when they're in fear that projects on you, you take advantage of that fear, and you will be drunk and loaded. You will die in your parents' home. We called one night. Bob called Clancy. Clancy wasn't there. Charlotte was on the phone. God bless her soul. Just passed. And Bob said, Amy called us from jail. You know, she wants wants us to bail her out. And Charlotte said, you bail her out? I'll never speak to you again. Bye. We had to do the tough love, the tough stuff that al I gave us the courage to do. Because how can I say to my other children, how can I be that example to my other children? I had to keep my grandson away from her. I don't allow her to see my grandson. She's loaded. She's out there. She's struggling. She's going through everybody and everything. One time, you know, I mean, she, every place that she's been, friendly house, every place that she's been, she's done that on her own. We've given her the dignity to live up to that. Amy, we trust you'll figure it out. I hate it. I might hate the disease of addiction or alcoholism. And she hates herself. The self-loathing. I know I'm an addict. But I don't want to do what we all do. And that's okay. Love and tolerance is our code. I've learned here in Al-Anon also and I have to make those tough decisions. They always call the mother. Just recently she wrote on my Facebook, on my Facebook because she has another daughter that she had through her addiction. We're not able to see her a lot. Very rarely. This is in our literature. There is no situation unbearable. No situation so difficult. No unhappiness to be lessened. But I remember those calls. And I remember going to the jail. And I have to remember that. I have to remember, you know, my daughter is affected by the disease of addiction and alcoholism. I have to remember that, you know, she wants to believe that things will be different for her. You know, she wants to be cleaned up. She doesn't, she loves us. She loves her family. But she went through, you know, my daughter and her husband. She tried her best. They gave her so much love and compassion. But she burned them out too. But that's what she has to do. That's the understanding that the parent meetings. That's, you know, what we're trying to get across. Alanon is to take care of us spiritually. My daughter talked about that. I gotta take care of my, myself spiritually financially, self-supportingly. I have to do for, you know, for my family. My husband has to do that too. My husband, you know, the main key is not only Alcoholics Anonymous, but going to the open Al-Anon meetings, me going to the open AA speaker meetings, me participating with you in this privilege of doing this. But also, the fact is that for Amy, where are our children? My grandson, i got to tell you a little bit about that and I'm going to close. Because my grandson, we took him out of public school when he was in his second grade because we knew that without a spiritual program, our sponsor told us he needs to be in a smaller school, a school of faith, not religion. He went to the Boy Scouts on Wednesday nights. And they were gonna have a trip. He'd been in Boy Scouts for about a year. And I asked him, I said, Cole, you know, they're going on this rafting trip and this, you know. And I said to Cole, because I see how the hurt of addiction, his mother, and losing his father, what it's done to him. You've given me the words. You've given me the compassion and the voice and things to be able to share with him. I could pray with him every night. He's 15 years old and he's still, we pray together every single night. He prays for all of you. He prays for Clancy. I mean, he prays for my sponsors. He prays for our dead sponsors. I mean, he just, you know, he has a down path. Because we've done something that we didn't do for those girls. We did something on a consistent, disciplined, spiritual basis through the steps of Alan on Alcoholics Anonymous and Alan team. So, uh, I said, Cole, why don't you want to go on this trip? He goes, Grammy, I don't even want to go back to Boy Scouts. I don't want to get my equal scout. I said, Why? What's what's wrong? He goes, Because I don't have a dad. Everybody's got a dad and mom. Grandma. Everybody's got a dad. I said, Well Poppy offered to go He says, Granny, Poppy would never make it in that canoe. <laughs> But Bob was willing. Bob was willing because of Alcoholics Anonymous and as the sponsor. Bob was willing to do whatever he could do for that kid. My husband is 77 years old. His company that he worked for, he worked until he was 75 years old. And he worked in... It, it, that company went down from 300 people to three. And he started his own little business, the, the walk-in bathtub, so we could support this kid. You know, and... And what he did is that business is down, you know. My husband told me that he had an interview yesterday as a project engineer that is way below what he does. My husband's going to any lengths in Alcoholics Anonymous. And for his family, and how grateful that he is that we are here with my daughter to have a healing process to be able to share with you a worldwide fellowship, and last year, when we were in Croatia, we made a trip through Zagreb and went down before we went to see my husband's family, which they've been encouraging him for years to go to Havar, to his island, where his family comes from from 500 years ago. And we, we they have a little convention and split, in a AA convention, in a Russian hotel. And you know what the Russians, when they were there... In '94, it was a mess, and that hotel still a mess. But alcoholics and Al-Anon's don't give a—you know—they don't care. They'll go to any lengths to be with each other. And I got to that—we got to that little convention, and one of the girls is a Croatian actress that lives in LA and lives in Zagreb. She went with us. She was our interpreter. People from all over the world, and then came to this little tiny convention. The NAs were on one side of the room. I mean, those addicts are nuts. But anyway, they are so much fun. And the A's were over here. And the A's love those N's, And the NAs love those A's. And, you know, and then there's the al And they come in their little skirts and dresses and, you know, not their jeans. You know, they come in and, and they don't speak the language. They have no literature except for an Alanon and an AA woman member. Took the courage to change for them, for our Croatian. And they typed it out in Croatian and put it on paper because they don't, they don't have literature. That's why you have to support Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. In the basket on Friday night when it goes around, I put all my money in there. You know, they say, you know, break break the dollar. What do you mean break the dollar? I haven't put a dollar in a basket for, you know, 39 years, 38 years or whatever. You know, I put in lots of money in there. I put lots of money in the babysitting money, you know. I don't have kids in babysitting, you know. I see alcoholics at my husband's Wednesday night Pacific group meeting, you know. Their rents have been raised, and they're putting money in there. But Al-Anons, what do we do, you know? I t- that's my tithing, or whatever, to carry that message. Because when you're sitting a meeting in Croatia of 15 Al-Anons, and then... And they're speaking their language, and you have an interpreter, Ennis, was telling us what they were saying. And then they asked me, they said, did you know Lois Wilson? Yes, I knew Lois Wilson very well. And if it wasn't for Lois walking out on that patio that night, having that resentment, the night they were getting kicked out of their house, you know, her father's house, her home in New York, and walking out there and looking out on, on the street, as Lois told us, you know, It's been documented. She looked out on the street. She's so mad. They're in there in AE, having a good time and drinking coffee and talking. And she's out there having all this resentment. And she's thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm losing our home, my family home, and working and whatever. And she looked out and saw cars on her street. And that's the miracle of Alamon. She saw the car on the street, and she saw a lady on the passenger side. And she walked down there, and she knocked on that window, and Anne Bingham rolled down that window, the other co-founder of Alanon who wrote our first piece of literature. And I had the privilege of the last few years of Anne Bingham's life, she retired to her, her daughter's uh, place in Santa Paula, and we were able to take her to meetings. And she told us all the stories about Will, Bill Wilson never zipping up a zipper and, uh, and coming down the stairs. And, you know, I mean, all this wonderful... And then playing the violin, and, you know, I mean, it's just... Wonderful, wonderful history that we have. We are six degrees away now. Maybe less than that. You know, but that wonderful woman, you know, saying to Bob, would you like to have some tea? When we were at the house the first time, Bob, you know, never drank tea. Oh, you know, um, sure. sure. And she goes in the kitchen. She turns around and she goes, aren't you an alcoholic? He goes, to Bob goes, yes. She goes, you drink tea? She goes, no, I really drink coffee. She goes to, what's her name, the pearl. She goes, put on the coffee pot. That coffee pot that's still there in the house. What a privilege that we have. What a privilege that we are in the, in the 20th century as the greatest spiritual movement. I don't know what's going to happen for Amy. I know that God, God's got her back. I know that when she went on Facebook this last week, mommy, I'd love to come home and Cold first day this Tuesday. And I had to write her back and say, I love you so much, Amy, but it's not a good time. I love all of you and I want to leave you with a prayer that my husband and I put it on my Al-Anon card. And I hope you call me anytime. It's like bomb Jeff. Anytime you're in California, you know, come to my Al-Anon meeting, you know. Come to the, you know, Pacific group meeting. If you're an alcoholic, my husband would be more than happy to meet you, pick you up, take you to the meeting. I well, love this card. It says, Dear God, help me to accept the seemingly bad as well as the good which is necessary for my growth. Thank you. Thank you so much. For my husband, the alcoholic, my daughter, who's in Al-Anon, my family that has been affected by this terrible disease. Thank you for all the seemingly bad things that turned out to be the biggest blessing in my life. God bless the wife.